Welcome to Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are studying Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, the Transfiguration. And I'd like to thank all of those people who wished me well during my travels for the last two weeks. And in that time, a lot has happened around the world. On my way home, we had an unexpected layover in Washington, D.C., due to a series of strikes by air traffic controllers in France, which meant we had to be rerouted around France, so it took an extra hour and we missed our connection. But over the layover, we met a couple who were Christians from Lebanon and who were leaving Lebanon for the foreseeable future due to the increased risk of war in that area because of the engagements between Israel and Hamas. And I think it's important for us to keep everyone in that area in our prayers this week. For the innocent Israelis who were surprised by an unprecedented act of violence and terrorism. And also for the children in Gaza, who did not choose to be born there, but due to the political choices of Hamas, are now facing the destruction of their homes. This is not a good situation for anyone involved. And this terroristic act of violence, which Hamas has started, has renewed a conflict which has long been simmering in the area, and is not something new to anyone who lives there, and is also not something that any Christians wish to take place in their holy land. This was the place where the Prince of Peace once tread, and now tanks are running over those streets. So please keep everyone in your prayers, that Christian couple who I met who was fleeing from Lebanon, and all those people in the Holy Land who have been affected by this act of violence, and most surely the families of the Israeli hostages who are now being held in Gaza City. Today, I am drinking a bourbon that a friend of mine introduced me to. It is Bourbon Rabbi's Kosher Bourbon. It is made here in Louisville, Kentucky by a rabbi who certifies his bourbon as well as many other bourbons as kosher. In order for a bourbon to be kosher, a rabbi has to certify that it was made in a clean and kosher manner. I know that doesn't really say much, but I don't really know the exact process that goes into it, but he certifies that each bourbon that he makes is completely kosher. Now, the ingredients themselves in bourbon is kosher, but apparently you need a rabbi to certify that it is. Now, the bourbon I am drinking is his honey-finished straight Kentucky bourbon. Now, it is a bourbon. It's not a bourbon infused with honey. It is a bourbon that has been aged at the end in a honey-infused barrel. It is undeniably sweeter than most bourbons that I drink, but it is not a flavored bourbon. Uh, don't expect the same notes you would get from a Jack Daniel honey. This is truly a bourbon, but it has a bit of a honey note to it. It also has a bit of metallic taste, but, but in a good way, as well as the oaky flavors that you might expect. Now, let us pray before we start our study today. Almighty Lord, we pray for all of your children, especially those in and around the Holy Land. It is odd how much violence has come to the land of Abraham, violence which you do not condone, a violence that has been present since the earliest days of our scripture and one that continues even today. 
We pray that the Prince of Peace may create peace known throughout the world, starting with that land today. And we hope through our study and the revelations that we have in that Prince of Peace, we can find peace in our hearts. Amen. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. After ten days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the son of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 13. In our last episode, we talked about Peter coming to the realization of who Jesus was. And we talked a lot about what it meant for Peter and his successors. But today we're talking about what it means for Jesus. Because this passage is a revelation to man about who Jesus is. It's often called the transfiguration. For Jesus was transformed into his true figure before Peter, James, and John. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't acknowledge that this is a bit of an odd scripture, or a weird scripture, frankly. In this, we see a vision of Jesus enveloped by a bright cloud, shining like the sun, with clothes as white as light. And that's a particularly interesting phrase, as white as light, because you don't really assume that light is white. And in fact, light goes beyond just white. It's so bright that it doesn't have a color. And the way that the Greek is originally written, it's supposed to be understood that this white is so bright, it is unnaturally white. It is supernatural, beyond our understanding. But what does that light have to do at all with the divinity of Jesus? So let's look in detail at this scripture. The first thing of note is that this revelation takes place on a mountain, a high mountain. This is important because revelations of divinity and of God often appear on mountains. 
Moses went up to Mount Sinai when he got the Ten Commandments. By being up on a mountain, you are metaphorically closer to the heavens. And therefore, symbolically, the divide between humanity and heaven is lowered. But it's not physically lowered. Uh, You can be in the middle of the Grand Canyon and have the same connection with God as you can on the top of Mount Olympus. Your physical location has no true bearing on your connection to God. But this location does symbolize this connection. That's why Jesus took his followers up to the mountain. He was letting them know that symbolically they were coming up toward God, that the sheet between them and God was to be lifted. Jesus was getting Peter, James, and John ready for his true state to be revealed. And that's why Jesus' face shone like the sun. It shone in such a bright fashion that you could tell his true nature. Because the sun is just a spot in the sky, right? Uh, When you look up at the sun, you see just one circle, a yellow dot. But that's not all that the sun is. Because the sun has the ability to illuminate all of the earth. Everything you see comes from the light of the sun. The visible portion of the sun is very small, but the illuminating aspect of the sun's nature is much greater. So when Jesus' face shone like the sun, it wasn't that his face was illuminated, but the world was illuminated through his face. Uh, That's why it was written that his face shone like the sun, because it was illuminating the world. His clothes, too, were so bright that they were white, meaning that his body was emanating power and light, removing darkness. That is the nature of Christ. There is no darkness in his light. He is both the sun, with an S-O-N, and the sun, with an S-U-N. Now, that wordplay isn't true to the original Greek or in Hebrew either, But it does help us understand in our English context. He is the sun and the sun. And then before him appeared Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. This is another important aspect of this scripture, because it ties together the Old and the New Testament. Now, when I was in seminary, I was taught by one of the preeminent scholars in the New Testament, a wonderful woman called Dr. A.J. Levine. She is well known, not just for her knowledge in the New Testament, but also because of her perspective. Because even though she is a New Testament scholar, she is not a Christian. She is an Orthodox Jewish woman. In fact, she's the only Orthodox Jewish woman or Orthodox Jew in general that I know of that is a scholar of the New Testament. And that's what makes her perspective unique, because she places the New Testament within the Old. In fact, she doesn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament at all, but she calls it the Hebrew Bible. And for good reason. Because during this moment, during the Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John had no New Testament. It wouldn't be written for many decades. The only scripture they had is what we now call the Old Testament. In fact, all of these men would have considered themselves Jews. John, James, Peter, even Jesus. 
The term Christian wouldn't be a term that they would refer to themselves by. In fact, Christians, as we know it today, wouldn't be a term that our community used for roughly a 100 years after this moment. They would have considered themselves Jews who understood the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament as their scripture. And people like Moses and Elijah were central to their scripture. So when Jesus was seen talking with them, it was a way for Jesus to bridge the gap between the teaching that he was currently facilitating with the community that he was reaching and also their testament, the Old Testament, the story of Moses and Elijah. He made it clear that he was finishing the work that they had started. Jesus wasn't working in isolation, but alongside them. Imagine it as a business meeting with partners coming together and discussing the workings of their company. You might have a head of accounting and a head of legal who would come together at some point to meet with their CEO in an executive meeting. This is what the disciples would have seen. And it is this central moment where these pillars come together where Peter asks something a bit odd. Peter asked Jesus if he should build three shelters, uh, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And that can seem odd, too. I mean, this is already a weird scripture, but, but why would Peter decide to build these shelters up here on this hill? In some way, it can be seen as Peter wanting to stay on this mountain, to stay there with these men, for all eternity to be there in this glorious meeting, to see Jesus shine as he truly was, the testament being completed. But that wasn't the case, and that's why Jesus doesn't answer him. Instead of building these shelters, the plan continues. Jesus' mission continues. And in fact, in some ways, you can see this as the beginning of the end. His true identity has been revealed. The New Testament has started. And things will never be the same. Peter, James, and John might now know who Jesus truly is. But they don't know what his work will entail. And it's not for them to interrupt God's plan. We, today do have the New Testament. We see it and we read it. We know it by heart and we do place it in its proper location alongside the Old Testament as part of the history. But we must never forget what Jesus truly is, the light that can shine and brighten the world. He is both the sun and the sun. And it's important for us to remember that as we move on with our scripture. Because as I said last week, It goes down from here. Uh, Jesus will begin his walk into Holy Week, a week of both pain and suffering and ultimate triumph. But before we start that march into Holy Week, we're going to have a few more teachings from Jesus, his final words before his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, starting next week with who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening today. 
If you do have any questions, please email me at bibleperiodbourbon at gmail.com. And while it is true that Jesus drank wine, an occasional glass is different than an addiction. If you need help, please seek it. If you need help and don't know where to look, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you. Blessings, everyone.